can keep those Bibles open because we're going to walk through those verses that Stephen just read for us and unpack them. And as Stephen has said last week, we kicked off our ministry year with a brand new theme. That theme is... Take a step. And the reason is because we're a disciple-making church, and disciple-making churches create discipleship pathways for disciples to take a step. And so we want to make it possible to remove every barrier for you to take your next step in following Jesus. And it all starts with glorifying God. We told you last week our new discipleship pathway sounds like this. A quality disciple glorifies, gathers, grows, and goes. And so that's what we're going to be talking about over the course of these next few weeks. And so we want you to take a step in glorifying God. And if I do my job right, you do your job right this morning, we're going to take a step together glorifying the Lord. My desire is that every disciple that calls Gospel City Church his or her home would take a step in finally and fully giving themselves to the very purpose for which you exist. Do you know? Do you know? Have you heard? Have you heard? Do you know why you exist? That's a pretty deep existential question. Why, why do I exist? And the Bible is so clear on this and maybe for the first time the light bulb would go off on in your head and you would understand this morning. I exist for glorifying God. That's it. I am to glorify God. How many of you um, in the last couple of days have gone outside late at night and looked and seen this big ball of light in the sky? Have you seen this? Have you heard? There's a big ball of, of light and uh, apparently it's shining brighter than it normally shines or maybe it's closer than it normally is. And what do we call that? What are you looking at? What are you looking at? at your, what are you looking at? Um, maybe some of you can think back to your... Um, astronomy classes and realize that the moon doesn't self-illuminate. What are you looking at when you're looking at the moon? You're looking at sunlight because the moon is just this big rock up in space. And when we earthlings look up at the moon, what we are seeing is a reflection of the sun. All you are as a disciple is a moon. You're a rock and you have no light of your own and yet you are put there so that when other people look at you, what is to radiate from your life is the glory of God. Disciples, take a step in glorifying the Lord. If you've been around here for the past few months, you know every now and then I let Stephen preach because he needs some help with his preaching and, and we're trying to coach him up, you know, and, and uh, get him out of this remedial stuff he's been doing. But uh, if you've noticed, one of the things he always does, he always starts with the same passage of scripture. And that passage of scripture, I want to preach like Stephen, so I'm going to start with the same one. And here it is. It's 2 Corinthians 3.18. This is very important, especially because it talks about glorifying God. So the question we're trying to answer is how do we glorify God? Here's what this verse says. We all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, apparently the glory of the Lord is something you can behold, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Do you see what this, this passage teaches us about the glory? The glory is something you can behold but the glory is also something you can become. 
It is in beholding the glory of the Lord that we are becoming a reflection of the glory of the Lord. You know what this verse teaches me? Every single moment of my life, I am either displaying the glory of God or I am distorting the glory of God. By the way that I live, the way that I think, the way that I talk, the way that I handle money, the way that I treat my wife, the, raise, the way that I pastor this church, the way that I do my job. Every moment of every single day, I am either displaying the glory of God or I am distorting the glory of God. Disciples, take a step in displaying the glory of God. Glory is kind of a fuzzy theological word, like what is that? We know that all glory ultimately is revealed in Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter one, verse three tells us that Jesus is the, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And yet, so we, we'll never perfectly be able to do it the way that Jesus does, but as we follow Jesus, we also become something that radiates the magnificence and the excellence and the perfections of our great God, that's the reason we exist. So what is discipleship? This discipleship pathway that we're on? Discipleship is simply God step by step transforming me from one degree of glory to another. Now, that word glory or glorified is used in the passage of scripture that Stephen read for us, John 15. I want you to see it in verse eight because the question we're trying to answer is, how? Let's make it practical. How do I take a step glorifying God? Jesus answers it in verse eight, by this, is my father glorified? What is it? That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. This is a discipleship verse. Disciples glorify God by bearing fruit. You talk about a step-by-step -step process. The final step is glorifying God. The second step is bearing fruit and we've got to find the first step. And we read that, look back up in verse four. Here's the first step. Abide in me. Step one, abide in Jesus. Step two, bear much fruit. Step three, glorify God. No abiding, no fruit, no fruit, no glory to God. So let's talk about what it means to abide. God glorifying disciples abide in Christ. That's an interesting word, abide. When's the last time you ever used the word abide in a casual conversation? Have you, have you ever used the word abide outside of this particular passage of scripture? I was trying to think, is, and I think the only phrase I've actually heard or used is, is like this. I am a law-abiding citizen. How many of you are a law-abiding citizen? Raise your hand if you're sitting next to somebody that didn't have their hand in the air. Uh, watch your wallet this morning, okay? <laughs> So are you abiding by the law? I think that's the only way we really use it. Um, but do you know what a disciple is? Here's what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who realizes I have not abided by the law of God. 
I'm not a law-abiding citizen. But I am choosing to abide in Christ because Christ perfectly abided by God's law. And in abiding in Christ, God treats me as if I am a law-abiding citizen. This is the gospel that we wrap our lives around and we, we hold to that truth that outside of Christ, I am in deep waters because I have broken God's law. But the hope of the gospel is this. We can come to Christ, abide in him, and God the Father will treat me as if I am a law-abiding citizen. So let's unpack this word abide a little more. As a matter of fact, some of you, as Stephen was reading that passage, he was reading out of the English Standard Version, which uses the word abide. Some translations use another word, the word remain. How many of your Bibles had the word remain in there and you picked that up as you were watching that? That's a good, that's a good word. Um, I think there's a lot of different aspects, really three different aspects of what it means to abide in Christ. And we could say certainly it means to remain. Um, I was asking our, uh, our team, as we met right before the service, uh, told him what I'd be preaching on. And I said, what's the first word that comes to mind when you hear the word abide? And the first person that answered me says, sit. Well, the problem is, is our series is take a step. So if the understanding of abide that you have just simply means I'm paralyzed sitting in one position for long hours of time that I just don't do anything, don't risk anything, you don't quite fully understand what it means to abide. But we can start there. It does in a sense mean to sit still, to remain, don't move, don't go anywhere. It means to continue. It means to persist, stay. In other words, stay in the same state you were in when you first came to Christ. Stay with the same desperation, the same humble heart, the same neediness and awareness of your sin so that you don't run off to some other functional savior. Remain, don't go anywhere. Um, the first words that Jesus used when he was calling disciples to him, the way that he first created disciples, he used these words, follow me. Well, that's the way that we respond to Christ. First steps we take. Step one, follow me. But then as Jesus was about to leave and go back to heaven, these guys had been following him for three years. He changes his language and he says, abide in me. Wait a minute, Jesus, you're leaving. But he's telling them to abide in him. As a matter of fact, he didn't just say that, but he said, I in you. Do you see it in verse 4? Abide in me and I in you. So I abide in Christ and Christ abides in me. And Jesus is telling them that our relationship can remain just as if he was physically here. Don't waver in your faith. Keep taking steps continually, persistently staying in a state of neediness for his grace. 
the guy that's probably explained this better than anybody that's ever written on it is a guy named Andrew Murray. He's an older, uh, he's dead theologian now, which are always the best theologians. And uh, Andrew Murray wrote a book called Abiding in Christ. And this is what Andrew Murray says. I love it. He says, there is nothing that moved you to come that does not plead with thousandfold greater force, abide in him. It's a command to follow him. It's just as much of a command to abide in him. Andrew Murray goes on. He says, you did well to come. You do better to abide. Who would, after seeking the king's palace, be content to stand in the door when he is inviting in to dwell in the king's presence and share with him in all the glory of his royal life? Oh, let us enter in and abide and enjoy to the full all the rich supply his wondrous love hath provided for us. That's what it means to imbibe. It means to come and enjoy everything that is yours in Christ. Don't go anywhere. Don't follow other voices. Remain consistently, persistently following Christ. So that's one aspect of abide. Here's another aspect. It means to make yourself at home in Christ. To dwell is a good word. To relate, to nest, probably the best word that I could think of that, that would sum up the word. It means to, to nest. Um, a few weeks ago, Andrew and I, late at night, three o'clock in the morning, for several nights, kept hearing this odd sound in our bedroom, above the ceiling, little pitter-patter of something. There's a varmint. Okay, I'm from Oklahoma. Do you know what an, a varmint is? Does everybody understand what a varmint is, right? There's some kind of a varmint that is attempting to make his abode in my attic. And so sure enough, I looked and there's a big hole on the outside wall and had to cover that, up so, uh, cover that up so he doesn't have access. He needs to realize you are not welcome in Trent. But Trent is welcome in Christ. And there is access. So he invites us to come and make ourselves at home in Christ. This is the difference between you renting a room in a hotel and you settling down, making yourself at home in your house. You move into a hotel room, it's temporary stay. You don't really care to relate to anybody else that's renting a room there. But at home in Christ, now we have a place of rest and refreshment. It's a place we spend the most time in. And please understand, abiding in Christ requires quantities of time with Jesus in his presence, communicating with him and he with us. And so there is a sense of being still and sitting still, but understand that's just what launches us because Christ is on the move and we're gonna follow him as well. So we abide in Christ as we spend time with him. Maybe for some of you, before you take a step, you need to take a seat 
in the presence of Christ and just adore him and worship him and listen to him and pour your heart out to him. We do that as we make our home in, we dwell in, we relate to, and we nest in Christ. There's a third aspect, and we'll call it this, to live in union with Christ. This is, this is one of the most beautiful doctrines in all of the scripture, union with Christ. It means that we actively, consciously, and intentionally, continually connect with Christ, attach ourselves to Christ, engage with Christ, and we are positionally united with and in Christ. Again, Andrew Murray puts it this way. He says, the whole Christian life depends on the clear consciousness of our position in Christ. Most essential to the abiding in Christ is the daily renewal of our faith's assurance. I am in Jesus Christ. All fruitful preaching to believers must take this as its starting point. You are in Christ. That's the job of a preacher, is to remind you, to continually urge you, and to drive into you the implications of your union with Christ. And so Christ teaches us this again in verse 4. He says, abide in me, I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So it's a double doctrine. I abide in Christ, Christ abides in me. Let's first of all, just look at some scripture here based on this doctrine that we abide in Christ. By the way, everybody take a deep breath. We're about to take a deep doctrinal dive and I don't want anybody to drown in the process. If anybody sees any neighbors struggling, you know, give them some oxygen, okay? We're gonna go on a deep dive here for a few minutes. Here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is great news for all of us dirty, rotten sinners. If you feel shame and guilt and condemnation and judgment for anything that you have ever done, do you understand the doctrine of union with Christ says if you come out of that and into Christ, you get a fresh start, new beginnings, you're a new creation. Behold, the new has come. This is the good news of the gospel. No matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, you can come to Christ, you can have union with Christ, old things passed away, you get a fresh start and a new beginning in the gospel, abiding in Christ. Is that good news for anybody? Any dirty, rotten sinners in the room that are glad that none of that stuff is ever going to be counted against you because you are in Christ? Here's another scripture that reminds us that we are enveloped in Christ's righteousness. Notice it says, we are found in him. You ever tried to hide from God? He'll find you. You better hope he finds you in Christ. Because if he finds you in Christ, you have nothing to fear. You are found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, because I'm not a law-abiding citizen, but that which comes through faith in 
Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. The only thing required is that you believe what God has said, that in Christ your sin is forgiven and Christ is your substitute. I believe that. I wrap my heart around that and I am enveloped in Christ's righteousness as a result. Here's another one. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. And because of him, you are, what? In Christ. In Christ Jesus, who, pe- who became for us, four things. Wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. He's got you cornered in. You are surrounded, you are enveloped in the wisdom of God, this righteousness of God, the sanctification of God, and the redemption of God. I am so encouraged to know that my relationship with God is not dependent upon my wisdom, my righteousness, my ability to sanctify and clean up myself, and my ability to pay the price. It's way too high. But Christ has done all of that, and all of it belongs to me in Christ. So that's the first aspect. We, uh, we abide in Christ. But notice there's a second aspect. Jesus says, I, I abide in you. He says, I have been crucified with Christ in Galatians chapter two. That, that sounds painful. Yeah, but if you'll go through the process, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Would you just, just pause for a minute, deep breath, hear these words. The living, eternal, resurrected, all-powerful Christ has made his residence in the geographical territory that is you. You are now the incarnation of Christ on earth. You are the only physical representative of Christ. And collectively as a church, we are the body of Christ and he lives inside of us. That it, are, is everybody still breathing, by the way? Is everybody okay? Check your neighbor. Check your neighbor. Okay, we need to get up to the surface here. We're, we're going to go a little deeper here. Hang on, got one more. Um, notice that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. Do you see that the doctrine of union with Christ stabilizes me, it anchors me, it roots me, it grounds me? That means that no matter what is happening outside of me, the, the wars can be raging, the, the, the cancer can be um, debilitating, the relationships can be off-centered, I, I can be worried and troubled, and yet in Christ, I'm rooted, I'm grounded, I am loved, I am redeemed, I have everything I need and and that's why it's so important that I come back to him and spend that time with him so he can minister to my soul and remind me of who he is and who I am in him. And then one more, notice this, Colossians 1.27, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory, of this mystery, what's the mystery? 
Christ in you. It was even a mystery to Paul. He's like, I don't even know how to explain this, but somehow Jesus lives inside you. The hope of glory. So do you see the two aspects of glory in this verse? You want to glorify God? First of all, enjoy the riches of God's glory. Secondly, become a demonstration of the hope of God's glory. Do you you hear what he's saying? Our only hope of being God-glorifying disciples is Christ in us. Because I'm not that glorious. I'm not, and you're not either. And yet our hearts want to tell us that we can somehow generate some type of glory. You're a rock in space. That's it. You're just something that God can bounce his glory off of. That's the only hope of glory is that Christ would be seen in you. And so what an incredible doctrine to wrap our lives around. Here's the second thing. God glorifying disciples produce supernatural fruit. We read that in verse eight. By this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Look at verse five. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is very clear here. Jesus wants us to know there's a difference. Jesus is something I am not. Jesus says, look, I am the vine. Repeat after me. You are not the vine. I am the vine. Don't pretend to be the vine. Don't try to be the vine. Don't act like the vine. Just know and believe Jesus is the vine. And then secondly, here's what you need to believe. You're a stick. You're a piece of wood. Dead. Essentially, you're a holding place. You're a bridge between the life-giving sap that's in the vine and the fruit on the other end of the branch. The only thing good, there's three, there's three parts of this particular tree. You have the vine and the fruit and the branch. The only two things that have any value are the fruit and the vine. You're a stick. Essentially, you're a straw so that the sap can flow through you to get to the fruit on the other end. Stop trying to glorify the stick and the straw. Not a plastic straw that pollutes the environment. Don't do that. But you're a, you're a stick. A biodegradable stick is what you are, okay? A straw that, that Jesus wants to flow through. The power, the life. And the glory of Jesus wants to flow through your life to produce God-given fruit. Now, the fruit, I mean, this, you have to realize, in those days, that was an incredible illustration because everything was an agrarian culture. Everybody grew their own fruit, everybody. Now you go to the grocery store. Aren't you glad you don't have to grow your own fruit anymore? Just, you know, just go buy it from people that know how to make it or know how to pull it up because they don't make it because God does it alone. I'm not much of a farmer, but I am. I'm trying to preach. So, uh, 
our understanding of, of fruit, sometimes we don't understand that it is impossible to do the stuff that needs to be done to make fruit. You can't manufacture fruit. All you can do is be the stick that's connected to the life in the vine. And Jesus does the fruit. So what is this fruit? Fruit, fruit is just simply something, I mean, we think about it. Fruit is sweet, at least it should be, right? Are you sweet? Or are you sour? If you're, if you're not sweet, you, you've got a fruit problem, okay? Um, if you're bitter and angry and upset, if stuff, the stuff that's coming out of you is not sweet, you, you're not where you need to be in your discipleship. You need to take a step. You need to bear some fruit. Fruit is nourishing. You know what that means? It means that you... You actually are a life-giving source or force for other people. People can come around you and they feel well-fed. They feel well-cared well for. Um, being with you is, is energizing to them. That, we're to bear these, these types of fruit. And in the most practical sense, it means that my first step in glorifying God are the practical steps of the way that I live my life. It's the way I handle my money. It's the way I treat my wife. It's the way I raise my kids. It's the way I talk, the vocabulary I use. It's my attitudes. It's what I consume in entertainment. It's the way that I live out my sexuality. All of those things should be sweet, life-giving, God-glorifying activities that Jesus identifies simply as fruit. And abiding is what allows that power and life and glory to flow through me. The branch never adds to its own existence. All it does is remains. It persists. It just stays where it's supposed to be connected to the vine. So glorifying God is not so much about me living my life for God. All in favor of living your life for God. Raise your hand. Amen. You should say amen. Okay, it's not a trick question. But, but hear me. Glorifying God is not so much about me living my life for God as much as it is Jesus living his life through me. I just have to remain connected to the vine. And all of a sudden, the life of Jesus lives through the straw, the stick, and there's God-glorifying fruit on the other end of it. So yes, we, we do everything we can to live our life for God, but if somehow you think that the branch sits there all day long and is like, what are you doing? Trying to bear some fruit. No, just stay connected to the vine and let Jesus live his life through you. That's what a God-glorifying disciple does. The proof of true discipleship is this supernatural life that you can't produce on your own. It is impossible to glorify God without abiding in Christ. Look at verse six. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. All right, serious, sober, warning. If you are not connected to Jesus, at the judgment, Jesus tells us very clearly, you will be thrown away into a place he describes as burning fire. Serious, sober. Can I just warn you and love you enough? Don't let that be your destiny. Take a step. 
Hear the words of Christ, follow me. Hear the words of Christ, abide in me. Respond in faith and become attached in union with Christ. So this will not be your story. Sadly, there are dead branches in church every Sunday. And they think that somehow because they are associated with Christ, that they are in union in Christ. It's a difference between with and in. Just being around Christ or the things of Christ does not mean that you are attached to Christ, you are in Christ. So how do we know? Is there fruit? Is there transformation? Is there change? And if there is not, verse six is about you. But notice there's another description of some branches. Look up, back up in verse two. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit. Now stop right there. Do you see the difference between what he describes in verse six, branches that aren't bearing fruit? It tells us very clearly in verse two, these branches are in Christ. So these are true believers, true disciples, but there's still a fruit problem. But notice what he does. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Jesus is so committed to his father being glorified. Do you know what he does? He prunes us. Does that sound fun? Having things cut out of your life? A few years ago, um, we have this really nice maple tree in, in our front yard. And it was, it was an adequate maple tree. Um, and a storm came through, lightning hit the tree, split it in half, essentially. And we had, you know, the remains taken away. And then we were left with this ugly remains of, an, uh, of a fruit tree. Three years later, I've got the most beautiful maple tree in the neighborhood. Do you know why? God pruned it with a lightning bolt. <laughs> Isn't it amazing that before something becomes more fruit bearing and more beautiful, it has to go through the ugliness of pruning? Maybe there's some junk going on in your life that you don't know how to explain. Money's tight, there's opposition, persecution, there's relational conflict. It's like you're doing everything you can. There's, there's physical pain, there's, there's hurt. And you think, God, what are you doing? And the answer may be, I'm pruning you so that you will bear more fruit so that God gets more glory. Much abiding, much pruning, much fruit, much glory. Little abiding, little pruning, little fruit, little glory. Which would you rather have? Would you rather be a disciple that God is getting much glory from even though life is hard? Or would you rather be a disciple that God is getting little glory from but life is easy? Take a step and become a disciple that gives God much glory and be willing to go through the pruning process. 
Now, we need to understand the difference between the pruning of God and the discipline of God. Do you know the difference? Pruning happens because you're doing something right, abiding in Christ, bearing fruit, and God wants more of it. Discipline happens because you're doing something wrong and God wants less of it. So there's two reasons why there may be a heavy hand of God on our lives. One is that he is trying to get more fruit from us because we're doing something right. Another is because he's disciplining us because we're doing something wrong and he wants less of that activity. And so we have to be discerning in this. Now there's a promise that we have for those of us that go through that pruning process. Look at verse seven. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. How many of you have recently seen the Will Smith Aladdin movie? Have you seen that? Does this sound like uh, Will Smith will jump out of a bottle and a genie will give you three wishes? You can ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's what it sounds like what Jesus is saying. Is Jesus genie, a genie in a bottle? No. So why can he make this guarantee? He understands when the words of Jesus abide in you and saturate your mind and saturate your thinking and saturate your praying, our prayers will cease to be selfish asking for God to glorify us and will be transformed into us selflessly asking for God to glorify himself through our lives. That's why this is true. You know, when Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing, that is the greatest motivation for prayer. If you believe you can do some things without Jesus, you will be a person who prays little. If you truly believe that you can do nothing apart from Jesus, you will be a person of prayer. Because prayer is simply a translation into a thousand different words, the belief that without Jesus, I can do nothing. Let me ask you this. To what do you say, without that, I can do nothing? Whatever that is, is the object of your worship. If you say, without that relationship, I can do nothing. Without that thing, life is not worth living. With, without, with, without that pile of money, without that status, without that job, without that health report, I can do nothing. Whatever it is you look at and say, without you, I can do nothing, that's your God. And Jesus says, God glorifying disciples are willing to allow all of those false gods to be pruned away so that they truly believe. I got nothing left but Jesus. And without Jesus, I can do nothing. And yet with Jesus, I can do whatever God needs me to do so that he gets the glory. 
Are you a God-glorifying disciple? Do you have fruit that proves your discipleship? Let me show you one more verse because it's critical for us. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourself. We're to be fruit inspectors. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves or do you not realize this about yourself that Jesus Christ is in you? Question mark. Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Is Jesus in you? Do you have 100% absolute confidence right now that the God of the universe is indwelling you, empowering you, flowing through you? And you know that because you see the fruit of his life supernaturally coming out of you. If you don't have that confidence, respond to his command. Follow me. And then continue by responding to his command. Abide in me. And take a step. At the end of this service, we always have our pastors here. We'd love to welcome you into Christ. We'd love to help you take that step. If you have other questions, you have burdens, if you, if you need someone to pray with, we're here for that to happen. Why don't you stand with me right now? I was reminded this week of a song that we used to sing when I'd first come to Christ. It's one of the simple, simple choruses that we sing around here sometimes. We're gonna sing that right now as the response of our heart. Let this be your prayer as Micah leads us.